friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their white horse magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined again. Thankfully, I found someone to go back to Rob Zombie's Haddonfield with me. My friend and returning co-host, Carmelita Valdez McCoy. Thank you so much for returning. Thank you for giving me an excuse to watch this movie. Yes. And again, I'll reiterate your bravery because I had a handful of people that are like, I could maybe do Rob Zombie's Halloween. I refuse to do Rob Zombie's Halloween too. Uh, but we'll get to that. I think I can make I think I can make a compelling defense for Rob Zombie's Halloween too. I All right, guys. In your abilities. All right. Well, let's hope. Let's hope that holds out. <laughs> All right, guys. As always, please take a second and leave a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. That helps us out a ton. We appreciate those of you that have been doing that. You can find us on all the social media you're on. Uh, that's a great place to shout us out, connect, let your movie knowing, uh, movie loving friends know that the greatest movie pod of all time is out there. And us also let them know. Uh, we appreciate that. You can email the show filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with your suggestions for movies you'd like to hear us cover, new, old themes, guests, double features, anything. If you want to get in early on our December fan pick uh, month where we stuff your stockings, get in early on that. Let us know what you uh, would like to hear us talk about. And you can see our faces at our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist. All right. This is the one I've been dreading. I've been dreading doing this show. <laughs> and it's essentially the end for us, right? I've already, we already recorded Halloween, uh, the 2018 movie, way back in our catalog. It will be dropping. I'm going to uh, move it up so you guys will have it again. So don't worry if you nice. want to hear our thoughts on that. This is essentially the end of our time in Haddonfield. I think. This movie, because again, I, I will be up front. A lot of this movie had faded into the ether for me. I did not remember an enormous amount of what happened. I remembered a white horse. That was essentially what I took from this film. <laughs> um, I think, other than Halloween Resurrection, this is the most unfairly maligned movie in the series. I... I think this movie actually does a lot of really cool stuff for the Halloween franchise, but also for a lot of these slasher and horror films in general. Um, I think people were unprepared for kind of the art house gothic ghost tale that we got mm. after seeing the the down and dirty brutality of his first Halloween movie. Carmelita, uh, again, never having experienced this Halloween movie. What did you make of uh, the madness that was pouring forth from your screen? <laughs> so this was a real odyssey <laughs> for me. <laughs> it was a roller coaster ride. So until, uh, you know, up until three days ago, I had never seen this film. I watched it um, the day after I watched Zombies Halloween. And then I... I felt like before we sat down to talk, I needed to watch them again. And I watched them back to back. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, after the first viewing, I was kind of like, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> I think I like it. Yes. I think I like it. Do I like it? Yeah. That was weird. Yeah. Like, you know, so this really works 
but does it work? You yeah. know, I was I was really on the fence about a lot of things after the first viewing. The second viewing, watching it immediately following his take on Halloween and kind of seeing the through line that connects the two movies, I found that I had a, I had more bandwidth for the the far out places that this one takes you. Yeah. Once I could see the through line. <laughs> and once I was kind of prepared for what I was about to watch, there was a lot more that I got out of it on the second viewing. Yes. And I I wholeheartedly believe you can make a case. I am here to help you make that case. I'm going to have some <laughs> gripes. Sure. I do have some gripes. But sure. but there is a case to be made for for giving this a shot and and just kind of letting it yes just go along for the ride mount yeah. up get on your white steed yeah <laughs> and go there is a burning question at the core of this movie which is what comes first the white horse or the blurb from the dsrm or whatever the psychology manual did Rob Zombie just find that while Googling? And he's like, that's fucking cool. I can do something well, with I've it. I've got it right here. Do you want me to read it? Oh, my God. You actually found Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. You just outed me, by the way, as I'm more of a pontificator than a researcher. <laughs> oh, I got it. I got it here. Well, because I wanted to remember exactly yes. what it was. So it says, white horse linked to instinct, purity, and the drive of the physical body to release powerful and emotional forces like rage uh, with ensuing chaos and destruction. And that's yes. an excerpt from the subconscious psychosis of dreams. Which is, it's so funny because there's so many seeming contradictions in that, right? Uh, yes. Is there a purity in what Michael Myers does? Is he some kind of natural cleanser of the Ronnies of the world? Like, do we need Michael Myers? I don't know. It, Maybe? There's so many weird Not, things in that. Know. Yeah. I was like, and then they play his mom is very pure. I think, okay, so th this is a bit of a warlock, right? It's going to be hard to come. You can't come at this movie head on because it is a bit of this constantly moving ghost target. Right. Um, there is a question at the core of this movie, honestly, though, which is I wonder what this movie says about Michael's mother, right? Hmm. Because this plays his mother, right? There is a scene when she's in the asylum, right? So we start off early uh, with young Michael saying, you know, after he finds out his mom has killed himself, uh, killed herself, 100% his fault, right? Um, that he's like, I will see her again, right? He's connected. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes is, is this the elaborate fantasy that Michael has built, right? But, by the end of the film, right? Because I would say, right, there's that scene where Michael Myers is in his mask just kind of staring at the moon lovingly and we cut back to this old, like, Lume set, right? <laughs> where it's, mm -hmm. you know, the Pumpkin Kings and all this shit. Maybe Michael, that's how Michael sees the world, which, by the way, awesome fucking addition to the Halloween mythology is Michael just yeah. sitting around and, like, what does Michael see when he sits there and not talks for 15 years? He's watching these weird Tim Burton-style black and white shorts, right? awesome addition by the end of the film i think there is inarguably an absolute paranormal effect 
that is happening in this movie. Right? I think that we see supernatural elements heavily sitting on our two characters, right? So it does ask this question of, is this how Michael created his mom, right? This pure mm. version of his mom that is clad in white and is not the woman who was in that cutout, who didn't kill herself. Or is there something actually going on in this lineage? Because as we see, Lori is later brought into this. What did you make of this psychosis versus supernatural element? Well, my friend, <laughs> we're going we're to touch on one of my gripes. Um, okay. So I loved the psychosis angle. Yes. I loved this idea of seeing, we get a glimpse of what Michael Myers sees. And I love the idea of this vision he has of his mother. This, this pristine representation of the mother figure it's very like archetypal which is very much what dreams are about so like this whole imagery of the white horse in dreams you know the mother figure in dreams so i loved that about it i loved that it was yes. kind of symbolic i love that it could be the right. vision of what he sees and that that's what's leading him back to find Lori, and that's yeah. like why he keeps on because the mother figure his lovely angelic ghostly mother mm -hmm. is leading him towards his fate i yes. thought that was beautiful and it gives us a nice break from the standard halloween film which is guy in a mechanic suit creeping through the bushes this gives us a chance yeah. to really add some style and flair some weird unusual tones that we don't see yeah and i think that has a really cool effect we'll get to later i don't want to interrupt your train though Continue with your about to be gripe, I'm assuming. <laughs> so I was, I was all in on that. Yes. I, I fucking like, yes, love that part of the this. film. And that's that's the thing everyone shits on. I love that part of the movie. No, I love that. It's very like, it kind of, there's elements of the first half of this movie that gives me the same type of feeling that I get when I watch something like Jacob's Ladder. Yes. Where mm -hmm. you say, what is real? What is not real? How much of this is in your mind? How much of this is some cosmic yeah. battle of your soul? Like, what's happening? So I love that vibe about it. And it As inherently we, makes Michael Myers more interesting because yes. instead of being a blank slate, like a shark, right? They, he's a shark, mm -hmm. right? He has the blank eyes of a shark. He swims and he eats and whatever. That's right. not as interesting as a broken artistic soul who is yes. imagining this elaborate... Uh, you know, redemptive tale. That is inarguably yeah. more interesting. And the people that are like, that shit sucks. I don't know what to tell you. It is <laughs> I, it is beyond me to comprehend how you can see what Michael Myers is actually thinking. Yeah. Right? Like, there's a scene when he goes in to get Annie again, which I will, that will be one of my gripes later in the film. Yeah. <laughs> Annie walks past the room and there is... Uh, his mom and the little version of him because he always communicates through the tiny avatar version of him yes he is projecting his ghost in the rooms where he's doing these things right his pristine mother yes. and this and that are watching him telling him to have fun that is a great addition to this franchise why why is it not interesting to see what's going on in this guy's mind 
Like, no one's ever been like, what happens in his mind? In Freddy versus yeah. Jason, we see that there is an actual regret closet. They turn Jason Voorhees into a person who literally has skeletons in his closet that he seemingly right. regrets. It's a nightmare, right? That is an interesting moment. This is an interesting moment as well. I fucking Agreed. love the white horse. But what about Agreed. it? It feels like you're setting us up, though, that something didn't click, though. What about it's this? When, it's when Lori starts sharing in the vision. Yes. And when the vision becomes corporeal. And, you know, I don't want to jump to the end, but I'll just mention that, you know, by the very end, we're no longer looking at this apparition. We're no longer looking at the vision that he sees. We're not even looking at the vision she sees. Now, young Michael Myers is physically holding her down. Yes. This is, okay, so this, let me let me attack this because I knew this would come okay. up. Please I do. think if you like the angle that this is all psychosis, I think the movie gives you every out to accept this. Imagine the journey we've seen Lori on, right? So she find, she doesn't find out till halfway through this fucking movie who she is, right? So she's gone this far. This has been a massive national news story you can only imagine. Reporters digging everywhere, and it just never oh, yeah. came up until she was 150 pages into a book. Uh, that's insanity, right? She's so distraught, right? We see that's – we'll get to Lori, Lori's bigger journey, right? But she then yeah, gets drunk because she can't handle it. She then is seeing her friend dead. She's then faced this fucking ghoul again. And she's wandering through the field. Uh, he fucking world's strongest man's a car and he drags her into the shed. I think you could argue that there is a bit of sympathy play going on in that moment. That mm -hmm. in that moment, Lori is so desperate to make sense of this absolute deluge of tragedy and horrors. That in a way, it's the same. It's the theory of Batman, right? Is that Batman is one of the worst superheroes. He's my favorite, but he's not a good superhero, right? He is an right. actual like billion trillionaire. He could just start after school programs and build affordable housing, whatever. But instead, he goes out and maims other insane, disturbed people because they need each other to play this fucking game, right? Like he, right. it's not a, the best way to handle things, right? But they have this mutually shared flight of fancy, right? That could be exactly what's happening. When Loomis is saying, get up, right? Maybe Lori mm -hmm. just can't, man. Maybe she is so fucking overwhelmed. Because I was thinking, like, mm. just in my day-to-day -day life, there are little things that happen, and you're like, that's it. I'm out for the whole day. I can't. I can't with this day, right? right? And I have never in my life experienced this night, let alone it being the second time in a year, Maybe this yeah. is Lori looking for some reason as to why this could be. Again, this gets back to when uh, the mother got home from her stripping shift and found her family murdered. I'm sure you immediately go into this. This is so fucking surreal. This can't be happening. I'll wake up tomorrow and my family will be back. Maybe mm. this is Lori sliding into this sympathetic. I cannot accept this is the fucking real world that I live in. And praying that, because again, we see her spending a lot of time in these very vivid dreams, right? Right. Is this a, God, hopefully I'll wake up. Hopefully I'll wake up, right? Playing into, because she never truly acknowledges baby Michael. She does acknowledge the mom, mm -hmm. right? But again, they do a lot of close-up of Michael in that moment. Perhaps that's they do. Michael foisting that upon us again, right? 
So I think they do a good job of preserving the this is psychosis angle if you want. I actually believe it is supernatural, right? This is one of my theories of the film is because <laughs> in Halloween part two, it it's something that I realized earlier is that they definitely establish in the original Halloween two that Lori, who they essentially make a vegetable for the whole movie, one of the worst decisions in the franchise, she is definitely psychically linked to Michael because right. she as a baby was taken from the home and given up for adoption. She sees young Michael Myers as he would have been as a young boy in the sanitarium, right? She is seeing things that only Michael could have clued her into, right? And then they do this shot where they do that Vaseline lens of him like lifting a nurse. Mm -hmm. She's seeing through this bridge to Michael. So that could be a wink and a nod to, you know, the franchise history, right? That, sure. you know, they put supernatural shit in Halloween too. I'm going to do the same, right? And I think, because there are moments, right? She does, because we see her have dreams where she sees Michael as he is when he escapes the ambulance, right? Yeah. And she did see him with his face shot and this and that. There are some moments where, okay, maybe Michael she sees. There are moments where she sees and experiences her long lost mother. There are moments when she experiences and sees other things that she absolutely would not have known about before she read that fucking book. So unless you're telling me this is some latent trauma bubbling up, but the fact that a child that young would remember Michael's costume would remember the mother as a right. witch, possibly it's possible, but I think they are doing a wink and a nod to Halloween too, that there is this psychic connection, right? Does that work for everyone? Perhaps not. And I think that explains a little bit of the transference of the ending. But even with it being supernatural, right? Even if that's not your jam and it doesn't work. I still think there's enough fascinating things happening in those in-betweens, right? One of the scenes yes. that leapt out at me, right? Besides, I'll throw this just random question out to the audience because I don't know that I want to take a side. <laughs> We saw the white horse that his mom brought to save him from the mm -hmm. ambulance. Is that a spirit cow that blows up those necrophiliacs in the fucking ambulance? Is that a spirit cow? That cow, that fence was not broken. There was no way for that cow to be out in a realistic way. Was that a spirit cow? And Almost is that, like a Patronus. It, yes, yes, a, patro a Patronus. An evil fucking white witch Patronus. Is this not the greatest indictment of the supernatural element of the film red cow white horse kinda, i don't know i kind of like it i'm just throwing questions out that's what i do best i think that was a yeah. goddamn devil cow if you're asking me honestly <laughs> also we don't see what michael does for that year i do love that he grew a massive beard because we've never addressed michael Myers shaving all the time in the original series mm -hmm. um just something you probably want to have time for the scene that really got me that I fucking loved. And I will dissect this one too for the psychic bridge theory. I love the hospital scene. Again, a wink and a nod to Halloween too. That series of events was so fucking awesome, I thought, right? It's so good. It's so good. But the thing that tipped me over, right? So she's going to check on her friend. The nurse won't let her. The nurse, you're like, this feels very wrong. All of it feels wrong. Very much like Halloween 2 does a lot of time. And it's like character decisions. Mm -hmm. When Michael came out and kills uh, Octavia Spencer's nurse, right? He fucking is growling. When he stabs her, he's going, 
And even in the closed caption, it says growling. Yeah. And I immediately was watching. I was like, wait, what the fuck? I was like, is he making sounds yeah. while he murdered? Like, it's, it caught me so fucking off guard. And I was like, no, no. And he is, as he's killing, uh, you know, all the security guard buddy. And as he's punching through the wall, he is growling. A ferocious growl, right? And knights in white satin is playing. Why all the white? Because Michael is clued into the white. and All right, fine, mm-hmm. right? But also maybe this is her psycho- psychologically expelling her strong uh, react emotions, whatever. But Knights in White Satin kept playing on a loop. I'm like, what fucking station are they watching? Every every TV. Every TV is every Knights TV. in White Satin. And it's always that chorus line, right? So I kept being like, mm-hmm. what? Because I forgot that there were dreams in this movie. I forgot about all the dream stuff. And I was just like, what is happening? Like, she's never getting out of that security booth. What are we doing? Why is Michael growling? And when she buddy. wakes up. Oh, buddy. <laughs> but that's sad, too. I'm like, she just invented Buddy and Octavia Spencer to get murdered. <laughs> I was like, damn, Lord. But I love that because it says so much, right? I love when a movie uses a dream sequence to get as a really interesting method to deliver actual subtext and story, right? So Lori mm-hmm. in that scene is unable to protect her friend Annie. Uh, and then two innocent people who are trying to help her and take care of her get killed because this guy just wants her, but they become martyrs for her cause. Um, yep. She imagines Michael as a more bestial, scary version, right? This growling, animalistic man that he wasn't in the first one, right? He was a horrible murderer, but he was not growling yeah. like a beast, right? I thought that was a really cool way to give us some of this extra information. And I don't know that many of the other dream sequences reach that level. But I thought that opening dream in the the hospital was really top-notch. I was really in love with that bit. No, it was gorgeous. I ate it up from, I mean, taking it all the way back to before the cops pick her up and she's wandering, kind of staggering through the streets. Yeah. And the camera's following her and it's dark and it's desolate. There's like nobody out. And she's How covered is there in blood. no one out? Yeah. <laughs> There's nobody out. She's covered in she blood. She shot him on the goddamn front lawn and no one came. <laughs> no one came. And I love when Sheriff Brad Dourif, whom yes. I love, Adore. who I wanted more of in the first film. We actually kind of just glossed over him in our last episode. Yeah, like another horror legend, Chucky versus Michael. Yeah, well, because he was hardly in the first one, but we get so many great Brad Dourif dad moments in this one. He which is. Which I'm sure we'll get to. Oh, man. The, the. Okay, so let's just. Let's do this, right? I also like that 28 okay. Days Later bit, right? Like walking. Now she is I not. Like Michael, she's no longer one of us, right? She's not a normie like us. She's not a suburb mm-hmm. normie. She is changed, right? And just that whole scene of her, you know, hand me the gun, hand me the gun. And then all of a sudden she is uh, awoken, right? And the emotion. Yes. But that sequence too. So the emor- emotion pours in. And all of a sudden, we're rushed to the ER. She's screaming, crying for help or friends. And then looking at her mangled body, this is, to me, the real core of what this movie does so well and why I think it's an important Halloween movie and horror movie in general. We very rarely, in any kind of real sense, dig into the after effects of these events that we watch as just a fun Friday night. We watch some babysitters get murdered 
one of them lives and we're like, of course she'll still graduate college and get a great job and marry and have kids and she'll have a house in Haddonfield. We never stop and take the time of what if you fucking actually got attacked like that and you actually yeah. saw your friends butchered at that age. In this movie, and again, uh, Taylor Scout Compton, is that the name? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I remember. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, you were you you uh, interposed damn the first it. two. It's Scout Taylor Compton. Ah, damn it. See, I knew my it's lack close. of being good at names would flare up. I, I felt good, so I took a jump at it, and I blew it, but it's fine. Sometimes no, you were close. You got, you got to take a swing, right? Yeah. Her performance in this movie should be talked about all the time in best uh, final girl horror movie performance. She is so devastatingly good and captivating and breathtaking on the screen. All those adjectives, yes. right? All those chains of adjectives. Mm-hmm. Um, but that scene of watching her mangled body be pieced together and watching her scream in horror, she doesn't even know where she is. That kind of stuff, right? The thing that I latched onto is when we go back and now she lives in this, it looks like the, like her bathroom looks like the bathroom of like the junkiest metal bars I used to go to. But when she comes down though, there's this new family unit. She has again been adopted by the sheriff and his daughter, Annie, who also survived, right? And there's this beautiful family story because this is the tale of two families, right? The family Mm -hmm. that fell apart and now through sacrifice and a mythical bond could maybe ascend to some other, you know, will be family again, but in the white horse realm. Right. And then this group of people who are so desperately trying to put the pieces together right? in the core of that, the fact that Lori still finds beats to flash that winning smile and have little laughs. Because, again, this this movie does that, right? This is a real portrayal, right? When she goes to work, she still yeah. tries to have laughs and fun. And we know that sadness is there, but, you know, people, I suffer with depression and other things. Like, you know that when you're on edge, sometimes you try extra hard to put out, like, hey, I'm not, so people oh, won't yeah. talk to you about it. It's such a an amazing, insightful performance from her. And Bradley, Brad Dorf, and, uh, you know, God damn it. Jamie from the four and five, they all have such a strong and unique way of playing how they are dealing with the tragedies. And again, we watch these movies and you can rack up body counts. And in the last one, Annie's running around with her tits out for our entertainment, getting stabbed Mm -hmm. and murdered. And then you have to see her come back dressed in a bathrobe all the time and having to deal with her friend and her dad and trying to put her life back together. And she's scarred. You can see the scars. They're all scarred, yeah. And it makes us sit there and say, that's the consequence of our good time. I thought that was I thought that was so fucking lovely, the scenes in that home. I love the dynamic of those three. And again, because you get the, you know, I'm depressed and night tears and uh, you know, and then Annie feels like she's trying to be everyone's mom, right? She's gonna like take charge Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the sheriff is trying to make jokes about the bad food, but also is wildly overprotective. It was just sweet, man. It was so sweet, and there was so much heart, and it makes us confront the actual fallout of these events in a way that I I couldn't get enough of that. Again, this gets back to, I was telling you before the call, this is the movie where don't have peripheral side girls that need to get murdered. I don't need to see the girl who wants to fuck in the mm. van get murdered. Don't take me away from the dreams 
and the emotional story in that house, right? That's probably the gripe if I have one. Uh, tell yeah. me about your your thoughts watching um, the grief, the fucking smorgasbord of grief this film puts on display. I love what this film tries to do in terms of having us confront trauma. Yes. Because it's 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 bringing it to us in a very different way from the first film. Because the first film we're seeing this this child who through some caught you know some like devil's brew of genetics and and his awful abusive upbringing turns out to be a killer. But there's lots of people in life that go through trauma and don't become killers, but they have to get through every day. Right. And try and live and go to work and maintain (laughs) friendships and relationships and bonds and family and dating. And Mm -hmm. people go through trauma all the time and they still have to live. And so I love that we get that, a portrait of that. And we see in her dreams kind of, you know, how she just keeps replaying all this trauma and all of this, you know, the violence of the ER. Oh yeah. And and then the violence nightmare violence, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, she wakes up and I love that she's you know, they're playing house. Mm -hmm. They're they're having pizza dinners and And he, you know, dad calls to check in and see how you're doing. Yeah. And she goes to work with her friends and she seems to like her yeah. boss and all of that's great. But she has, you know, you can see that she's, she's like got bags under her eyes. She's tired. She's not sleeping. Yeah. She's got, well, she always looks disheveled, right? She's not the put right. together Lori of the first, no. but like the scene that struck me was when she, she right. But she, so she's working and they're, you know, kick out the jams. And you're like, it's a little, all right, I get it. Like Rob Zombie likes a song with her. When yeah. she holds the teacup pig, though, she's like, maybe I'll take you home. She's open to loving something. She feels joy, right? The way you can, like, my dog bear is laying right there, right? When this is over, I'll go sit, and wherever I sit, he'll curl up on me. And his warmth gives me a happiness that is out of my control, right? It's one of those physiological things with me and my dog. Yes. Him showing me affection makes takes me to a place I can never reach on my own, right? Uh, she's willing to do that with this pig. She finds something to love. She has a thought that she could love again. The fact that she's at yeah. a petting zoo, right? Out in the world. Um, I thought those moments really soared to me. And it makes that moment, right? The way he shot her revelation moment becomes more fascinating to me too. Oh, yeah. How? Who told her to go read that book? And then she's sitting alone in her car and the camera comes way out to watch the very end of her smashing the book and falling apart, right? Her world is collapsing. And there she is, hidden in her little fortress, right? She doesn't want to do that at home. Yeah. She doesn't want to do that amongst her friends at the coffee shop, right? Uncle Meets. She wants to be there alone in that little place. And again, I think I think that's the underrated thing of these two is they get so deep into the actual human emotions for movies that I think people ascribe no humanity to. I think that shot in the car is one of my favorite Laurie Strode moments in the whole franchise. You know what? Because again, yeah. watching her deal with it. And then I think the the idea of her like going and crying to her friends and immediately being like, I want to go to a party because set piece and get fucked up. And like, it's a little 
not right to me. But, you know, everyone does deal with yeah. grief in their own ways. So That's true. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. Maybe I'll she's all this. buttoned up and she wants to fucking explode. Who knows? Sure. And I'll buy that. I'll buy wanting to just go get totally yeah. wasted. And she's confronting what? the new reality that I'm not yes. Laurie Strode. I'm Angel. Right. Maybe this is how Angel would fucking handle grief. What I don't think I needed was, like, all of these, like, clips of the stage the performers on the stage i didn't need that <laughs> you didn't need fun boobs we all need fun boobs and rockabilly i didn't no and then the open mic I, yeah I didn't, need, <laughs> I didn't need that sure you know maybe there one little is... snippet here and there but yeah. it was a little too long no i mean i'm with you i'm with you there is a cool subtext to that moment though because her saying i just want to go get fucked up and party i was like Err! i was like hold the fuck on <laughs> Everything we just saw you go through, everything we know that's happening, right? Even take out the thought that Michael is it follows in his way towards her, right? Right. There is a really cool emotional subtext to that scene, which is for the first time since her incident and the loss of her family and all this, finding out that she is the the Myers child and she's not Lori Strode might actually have given her a euphoric effect, right? She doesn't have to deal yeah. with Laurie Strode's bullshit. She is a brand new human being that she's never, she's slipping into a skin in life that she's never experienced before. And maybe in that moment when you're all emotional and wound up that, that weird euphoria hits and you're like, fuck it, man, I'll take it for a spin because I can't keep sitting here mm. in this fucking reality, man. I, yeah. I don't know. As a person who's dealt with some issues like this, this one really spoke to me on a very deep level. There are just because I do that all the time when I'm feeling bad and it. You're like in your head, you're going, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Don't. That's going to make it worse. That's self-destruction. And mm -hmm. you know it. And you can't stop yourself. And you wish oh, you yeah. could stop. Or people are like, just yeah. try to be happy. And you're like, oh, what did I think of that? Like, I never ah. thought of that. <laughs> so like there is yeah. this level. And again. I have absolutely never experienced grief on this level. I think yeah. I myself as a man would Humpty Dumpty style crumble and be blown away by the wind if I dealt with anything that Laurie Strode has been showed dealing with. But I, I like this. That to me is where this movie sings, right? I love the style and I like that emotionality of this, this survivor's tale, man. Yeah, no, and I'm with you there. And I, I too, um, have been managing depression right. for a long time. And 2020 uh, has been a year where we should all be very in touch with this kind of headspace. Right? <laughs> long history. So I came in to 2020 with a, a lot of coping mechanisms. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, there are times when I've been less than healthy where I just go headlong into – living in a fantasy world yeah let's go to middle earth and just hang out in middle earth for the next five days because i can't yeah because this earth sucks like, yeah this is not what going... i'm digging <laughs> right i used to i used to always say that life is a costume party that was kind of like my thing when i was like a teenager in my yeah. early 20s because when you put on a costume you get to be something yeah. else you get to have a different reality you don't have yeah. to be in your reality oh, yeah. and so so yeah, I'm with you on the, you know, there is something as Michael exemplifies in this this series, yes. right? 
No, I used to tell my wife that. I was like, there's me, Josh. And then I used to refer to myself when I would be like binging, right? Like in my party self. I'm like, that's Griffey. That's a different guy who is unrecognizable to me. I don't like him very much. Uh, I would spend no time with him if I could. But like I had that weird dissociation because you feel yourself going down a hill. And you're. I think for me it was always a weird like I want to feel anything that's not this grief right Mm -hmm. so so again it was one of those things i had to grapple with my own story and i think that's a really cool thing that this movie made me stop and question my own emotional bullshit as i'm sitting there like no way she goes to the party and you're like bitch you've done that for like years right and uh so again i i think the stripping of the humanity of rob zombie's halloween i keep griping on that point but it bothers me like when when uh, Annie and Lori shared their, you know, one day at a time, like you said, life's a costume party. I think a lot of us have those mantras, right? Those rocks, anything to try to, you know, keep taking one step or whatever, you know, whatever the cliches are. I think this, the the, the way this movie deals with the grief and all that is it's just beautiful. And again, if I had a gripe, don't add the side girl deaths, right? That are just yeah. like, we need tits and partying. And a murder because it's been 15 pages of arty dreams and Michael staring at the moon and crying. I like that right. part of the film. That's If I had a, a gripe about Halloween, too, is that I know exactly what Rob Zombie wanted to get at. I know where mm-hmm. his head's at, and I love it. And I think it's a, a really interesting, deep dive into this tale, right? And a really cool yeah. bow on all of these fucking 10 movies we've done at this point. I think 10 movies, something like that. And I think there was probably a part of him, you know, whether it's studio or just him realizing what Halloween fans want, is a little afraid to not have that kill. The strip club scene kind of works for me in a weird way. Yeah. It's going back to the source of the original sin, maybe. Did you read more into that? I thought it was a really cool ad that uh, they had the poster for the mother of Michael Myers on the side of the titty bar. Yeah, that that took me aback for a second. Well, it makes you wonder. You're like, who is seeing that? And it's like, that's where I'm going to get erections. (laughs) I mean, what's that clientele? You know what? (laughs) And this is something that I picked up on in two that was it was a little more in your face because you like you have the guy at the book signing Chet, Chet the bringer of death. This one Chet with two T's, it was a little yeah. more blatant, <laughs> a little more blatant about the true crime and the exploitative nature of yes. of that. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, like maybe there are some people I'm sure there are who you know yeah. would want to see Deborah Myers on the side of the the strip club and that would be a draw the mystique yeah i mean you can imagine i would imagine there's an enormous amount like we'll do an extra an hour drive to go to that strip club because it gives you an extra layer of why you're there it's an extra excuse for your bad behavior like i I know the type but it's one of those things in the movie you're like ugh, what are you doing and it's and again, that one is weird, but I lo- Michael's there for seemingly a reason, right? That's another one of those where it's like, this is just a carnage moment. I don't know if any of those people were there when she worked there. Maybe the owner, you know, the Frankenstein Maybe. fucker. 
So maybe that. But I was like, that that to me, we'll get to the Michael Myers in a minute, right? But that that to me, if I had a a, a little bit of a gripe, right, is that it felt like Michael and Loomis become a bit of an afterthought in this movie. Michael yeah. works, and I almost, I don't know if this is a bad thing or maybe to the great credit of the movie, that Michael in this movie essentially, when he's not doing useless kills, is acting as a satellite projecting his psychosis into Lori. And then us yeah. watching how that is processed through what is left of a normal human mind, right? That part works really well. The rest, like Michael fighting in a cornfield. You know what I mean? There are these moments mm -hmm. where you're like, what? what is this, what is this doing for me in this tale? Right, right. Well, and you know, this you bring up the cornfield and we did learn like that we, Michael has boundaries where he won't be a he cannibal. Does. He'll eat that fucking dog, but he won't right? eat the human. Well, maybe he did eat the humans. I don't know. Uh, also, I'm very anti dog I, eating. So that just mm, let me. I, yeah, let me I don't reiterate. like that either. <laughs> no, not likey. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, you know, I think when we talked about the first zombies halloween and we talked about how you know he has in early on he has some of these kills of these like deplorable human beings yes. and and it and it takes you to this weird place of like oh i kind of like the revenge of it but this is also awful right. and <laughs> you know and but after he leaves the sanitarium I kind of feel like we're done with that. He's done with righteous kills. I kind of feel like, no, he's just kills now. <laughs> he just he just kills. So in this one, the cornfield is kind of an interesting one because those guys, they don't know who he is. They think that there's just a, a transient person, someone yeah. who doesn't have a permanent residence that's walking through this field, and they decide they're going to beat him up. With a they crowbar? make it seem like they've warned him a bunch. Like maybe he's shacked up somewhere on their property. Right. But like this is all this is clearly someone who is not well nourished, is living out of the same clothes. <laughs> I would like, say he's fucking well nourished. That is a gigantic body. He's, he's eating something. He's know, eating something. <laughs> well, no, but you're struck immediately. Like when they jump him and hit him with a baseball yeah. bat, the, the, that's one of those things that I see in movies. And you go, <gasps> it's like it, that right. would hurt. So the thought of even hitting someone with an instrument like that, you want to maim them. Like you're like, I will maim or kill you and not feel horrible yeah. about it. Yeah. It's brutal. So you don't and feel so that had, bad when they die. <laughs> I, I had again, that moment of like when he gets up and he, he takes care of all of them. Antlers like, their ass. That was amazing. Like, I don't, I don't feel so bad. And then you're no. like, but like, it's that like internal struggle of, but no, Michael is a fucking stone cold psycho killer. Yes. Every, but that's the thing so, they're setting us yeah. up in this, this magical thinking, whatever. Mm. And again, you're like, I don't mind that he shoved that guy through the antlers. That guy sucks. And you're like, oh, he killed the girl who was kind of nice to him, but was also willing was to just nice. leave him in the cornfield. 
Like, she, she didn't stay with him deep. and get on the phone. She's also like, well, I, I got to catch my ride. But then immediately he goes and runs his knife on the dog cage. And I'm like, that's the most despicable thing I've seen in any Halloween movie. And he spent <laughs> two movies trying to kill a child, right? And that still bothered right. me more. And actually in Halloween Curse of Michael Myers, he wanted to kill a baby. So, But that still bothered me more, the knife on the dog cage. But uh, no, this is the weird Halloween movie, though, where it struck me as normally I can't wait to get past them telling me the plot of the movie, right? So mm-hmm. that Michael can get to killing people. This movie almost has the opposite, where every time he kills someone, I was bored. Mm. And I was like, I want to get back to this, like, you know, this collision court. Like, they, they set it up almost strangers in a train. Like, I know that's a bit of a stretch, right? But how the two shoes are walking to each other, like... <laughs> Every yeah. film student has had to dissect that scene, right? The two shoes right. walking towards you. That's what this movie was for me, and I was excited for that, right? The mind melt, all that. When he stops to do these kills, right? The thing I did like, when he kills those rednecks in the field, he is grunting and growling, right? He is. He has a beard now. This is a Michael, and it struck me, right? And then the same thing, when he kills in the strip club and they rip part of his mask off, Michael's yeah. real features are starting to peek through the mask. This struck me as one of the things I didn't appreciate when I watched it in theaters all those years ago. This year, these are the Danny Trejo walls coming down, right? Yeah. Go in your head and live there and no one can get you. It's infinite, right? In Halloween one, he comes out as this somewhat killing machine. I'm on one mission to get boo, maybe to win her back as a family, whatever that is. Right. And most of the people that, get killed in that pursuit are within his path right right this one not there's no reason for him to go to that strip club right except for he remembers that that's where his mom was hurt the weird one you can't explain is why is he at the party to kill those two in the van and then move but this is what i mean maybe yeah you don't need to explain it maybe this is mike we've never seen michael as a human in the wild again right as True. he's lived out there for one year, we have to start asking ourselves, what was he doing? What was he eating? How? Who saw him? What happened to them, right? Was he killing? Was he living as a man? And in that time, when he's in the wild, not under supervision, not doing therapy, not doing paper mache mask, just seeing these visions, is this the human Michael starting to rip through, right? So when he's mm. growling during the kills... Now it is becoming more euphoric than the traditional, like, I will just turn my head to the side. Like, I don't understand what that is, right? Uh, When Lori hears him grunting in her hospital dream, is that something Lori created and then Michael learned through their psychic bond? Or did she hear that Michael was becoming more human? Which way was that coming? I, it in a weird way, while I was bored of the violence, there are yeah. subtle things that they are telling us about Michael that really, really work for me. No, that's interesting. The grunting, the first time, my first watch through, the grunting, I was like, what? You know, I, I did the thing that I think a lot of people probably do watching this is like, what? No. Michael <laughs> Myers doesn't vocalize. He's silent. <laughs> He's silent. And the second time... I, I, I kind of started to soften to it because like you said, we get these, we see that he's kind of coming back. 
the mask is dissolving and yeah, somewhat yeah, yeah, almost yeah. blending actually right with his human right. face his features his beard i i i think it's much better than people give that element of it credit for right and again there is something about hearing him breathe it's kind of like the first time i saw 28 days later and i was like zombies don't fucking run and then like a year later after all the arguments you had to be like it is truly much scarier and it's not even close it's fucking cool like my, all my favorite zombie movies are slow walking zombies. We're like fast zombies are scarier because I don't want to sprint ever. I don't want to. No. Right? <laughs> like, I, I'm not into that. Um, there is something about hearing Michael grunt and get guttural. It almost sounds like you hear those terrible things, right? Like people just call on the phone and they hang up and they're jerking off on the other mm -hmm. end. Like that nasty breathing you've seen in other movies or hear on like yeah. true crime story. There's something weird and almost perverse about it. It kind of works as you see him coming back to this this human killer, right? I thought that part was cool because, again, it, the movie made me stop and say, why are you bored? And it's like, oh, because they're telling me all this cool character stuff, and I want to do more of that. I don't care about a guy getting his arm snapped. It is cool to see a guy get his face stepped on and smashed in. Uh, but yeah. I, I want to learn more about Michael. And then you get to the party, the titty party in the van. And you're like, that kill tells me nothing about Michael, right? That's no. the kind of stuff where I'm falling out. Um, I think we've dodged it a long time, right? Okay. We got to talk about what happened to poor Annie in this movie. Um, oh, Annie. This might be my least favorite moment in any horror movie of my life. And I really didn't want to watch the movie after this. Uh, seeing Annie survive... And become this motherly strong figure, reassuring her dad, like, just, I know you love me. It's fine. I'll be fine. I'm tough. She's taking that approach to, like, getting back on track. When we see Michael's mom and little Michael, we know bad things are coming, right? Yeah. And the way Michael toys with her and just stands and watches her, there is this looming effect that was so unbearable. I will give Rob Zombie credit, though. He had to know because that is probably the only moment in these two movies where we don't get a brutal showcase of what happened. It is the opposite of the first Annie scene in part one. Yeah. He does come back and show her like screaming a little and we see the body, which is fine, right? That's for emotional impact. I was so happy Rob Zombie didn't show her getting chased around for three minutes and sliced up again because I do believe I would have walked out of the theater. I was mm. so mad when I knew that Annie was going to get it. I don't think I've ever been more upset for a person to be killed in a film than that fucking moment. <laughs> I was so fucking mad. And even watching it this time, I was like, not her. Not her, man. <laughs> like, she does not yeah. deserve this fucking shit. I hate it. I still hate it. The, the second time. So the first time I watched it, I was like, no. That. The second time I had this moment um, when when Lori finds her. Oh, God. And she's like telling her to stay with her. And I had this moment like maybe she lives like maybe. Oh, I thought maybe the same thing. Lives. I'm like, sure. He lived once. It's fine. They'll get the ambulance. And then they're killing the little uh, pixie haircut girl. You're like, she could yeah. die. It's fine. She could die. She only <laughs> I only saw her for like three scenes. She could die. not Annie. Right? Not Annie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But that whole sequence. Because Annie finds her and is like, no, no. And then when we know that she's gone, right? Annie's gone. And she just leans against the wall and she's like, don't leave me. I can't do this without you. And it's 
brutal. That was someone who probably the only person on earth who knew exactly what she went through, had brought right. her into her house. Uh, it was so dead and it was acted to the max, right? Like it was beautifully yes. acted, but it was so fucking devastating. And when Michael started kicking the door in again, I was just like, fuck you, Michael. Like I did a hard turn. <laughs> and that's what I think is cool because how many of these movies do you sit there and you are just rooting for Michael to murder every person we see? I know this movie yeah. made me stop and be like, fuck you for killing her. I didn't want her to die. Fuck you. And I think that means that he did a good job, man. He made us love Annie, made us mm-hmm. love her, and then love Lori and want to hug her as we know how fucking devastating this will be again. This woman with this fucking mountain of trauma. But I'll tell you, when the sheriff is smoking, I'm going to get choked up talking about it. And he's like uh, having his cigarette and he's like, Annie's going to kill me because she'll smell it on my clothes. Oh, and then they come out and they're like, the 911 calls at your house. And he just goes, no. Dude. And then when he's like, ah, he's like, let me see her. And he just collapses and looks at yeah. what's left of the girl that he already thought he had lost and got back. Right. The the absolute uh, having my guts ripped out moment. I was unprepared for that. And I will hate that bit of the movie. <laughs> I would argue it's wildly <laughs> effective. It was rough and But I will hate again, that till the day I die. <laughs> I mean, this is I mean that and that's kind of the thing that they're able to do here, right? Like usually, you know, a peripheral character like the sheriff, like who gives a shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> but between the the way his character is written in this movie and the superb performance by Brad Dourif, like no, like I care. Care deeply. This man Care deeply. Has lost the daughter that he thought was in the clear and yeah. that he was trying to protect her and he was trying to protect Lori and he's the sheriff for Christ's sakes yeah. and not even he can protect her. And not only that, he can't protect him twice. Right. Two Halloweens in That's a row this gnarly. shit. I would argue send more than one fucking dipshit with a shotgun. Like, put the whole fucking yes. force on them for one night. Yes. I I would tend to overreact. That's me. But not blame me. It's not his fault. But that that absolutely was fucking soul-crushing beyond belief. Yeah. And that gets to, again, to reinforce my theory, these are not just torture porn movies. These have an emotional impact. Um. We have not yet gotten to Loomis. Let's talk about full-on fucking Limo Loomis. <laughs> this is a new look. Limo Loomis threatening to smack his assistant, being snarky about his coffee. Yeah. Absolutely claiming it's fake news that Michael Myers could possibly be alive. Cashing in again still. Uh, we see the full-on descent of Dr. Loomis in this movie. What did you think about seeing our 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 epic hero, our Van Helsing, yeah, all the way being a scumbag? You know, it was kind of jarring, and it shouldn't it was. be, right? But it was. It, it was kind of jarring. Because I will say this: by the curse of Michael Myers, when he's acting with Paul Rudd and he goes in. He has this very noble. They don't show him on screen. They indicate that he's probably the scream at the end of the movie. I refuse to accept that. I think Loomis rides off into the sunset. 
and dies in his Frasier room where he's just like a, a psychiatrist talking to his radio, right? Right. Uh, he had become so this beloved, like, pillar, right? This monolith standing against the dark. To see him as just this fucking snaky, exploitative, right? When he's in front of the house, he's like, I'm selling the sizzle, not the steak. It made me yeah. want to vomit. I was yeah. like, oh, but <laughs> there it it's the perfect logical conclusion to Loomis that we never got. I don't, Loomis in four and not? five is the survivor of guilt Loomis, right? The yeah. trauma Loomis. This is the right. logical conclusion of the guy who just wants to sell the books and do this and that, right? Right. No, and I, you know, I I think what it boils down to is just because I don't like it doesn't mean it doesn't work. Yes, that is my Annie moment, right? I, I feel the same way. You're like, it worked. I hate it, but it worked. Right. So, you know, as I when we talked about the first film, I liked the ambiguity. And maybe what I liked about the ambiguity of what are Loomis's intentions, what really drives him in his pursuit of Mike Myers, maybe what I liked about that ambiguity is that I could still like him if <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a deniability there. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, okay. So, so in this in this vein, though, walk me through your thoughts of his final sacrifice, right? If you can even call it that. Yeah. So, so it took me almost the whole movie <laughs> to get to where I was like, okay, I accept this now. Yeah. That Loomis has gone full exploitative true crime journalism. And doesn't give two shits about the victims and doesn't give two shits about Michael Myers. I had kind of, it took me the whole movie to finally like just kind of like let that sink in and be like, all right, I mean, I guess that's Loomis. Yeah. I guess that's who he really is after all of this has gone down. The price that he's paid is that he's now just full on, doesn't give a shit. Right. So then when they have what seems to be this, this, this turn where he suddenly wants to help. Right. I was kind of like, what? Yeah. Like, I don't, what's happening. <laughs> I, was little... I agree. Cause my first thought is that's horseshit. I don't buy any of it again. I think yeah. it works though, because when he's in the hotel room, watching himself get dunked on by weird Al, he says it's over. I think he yes. knows he's made a mockery of himself and that it's over. My theory is that Dr. Loomis, the narcissist snake oil salesman we've seen, right? he cannot live with that fact. And he knows in this moment, right, this is how he becomes this immortalized being, right? Now, some people would argue like, oh, he goes and gets himself killed. But I think he thinks he'll get out of there again. I really do. Right. I think when he runs past the sheriff and he turns around and says, I owe you this much. That is fucking community theater 101, right? I think he's hamming it up so the other cops will be like, he made a selfless gesture, right? So they're telling the news story, and when they're being interviewed by the person who writes the book about Dr. Loomis, they're right. telling him how noble he was and brave and nightlike as he ran into that shed. I think he, honest to God, well, that's a good question. Do you think he thought he was going to die in there? Was this... He knew it was over, so this was him. I will essentially commit suicide, you know, by Michael's hand. 
and then become this martyr, right? Become this character right. that I've been trying to sell. Or did he, on some level, think he could get the fuck out of there? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think you can have a person be at that point where they have nothing left to lose. Yeah. Where it doesn't really matter to them. Yeah. Which outcome happens. Because in either event... If he dies, he dies a martyr. Yep. If he comes out of it alive, they're still going to say Loomis showed up in the ninth inning and yeah. did the heroic right thing. Well, now he gets to go back on Hardwick's show and be like, what were all those fucking cracks about how I'm, you know, this is blood money. Like, I'm a fucking hero. Fuck you. Right. right? <laughs> so, you know, I, I, or it could be that there's maybe there's a thread of the genuine of I fucked this up so hard. Right. I'm going to charge in here and maybe I help. Maybe I buy them time. Maybe. I One do agree, another, though. I'm if going. I was Loomis, I'd be a lot more fuck you. Because everyone keeps say, <laughs> yeah. telling him he killed these kids. I'm like, I did not kill those fucking kids. No. I tried to save Lori. It's not my fault that a rapist let Michael Myers out of his cage. I was not there that right. night. That's not my fucking fault uh, that right. I couldn't fix this madman right so no. i what? do feel like loomis had written this was him writing the final version of himself right which i hate seeing that version of him but it works perfectly in this world right, right? and i think if there's one thing we see by the end of the movie is that i think what rob zombie does is by the end of these two movies he is absolutely completely deconstructed decimated to the ground leveled the three pillar myths of the halloween franchise right when this movie ends loomis michael and Lori do not and cannot exist ever again as we have known them for this entire franchise he completely breaks yeah. them he atomizes their their myths right they are gone <laughs> yeah all right it's so true. we gotta talk ending ending Mm -hmm. Um, Michael's ending in the shack, right? The the fighting and the getting stabbed on the wall, and Lori saying "I love you, brother" before she finishes him off. Did any of that was any of that interesting to you? Loomis getting killed at that point, I was like, "Fuck him! Throw that corpse over there!" Yeah, yeah, Loomis. <laughs> you now we did yeah, mention this earlier, so this would be a good chance to reiterate your thoughts on. Her being physically bound by the ghost or the crushing weight of her depression. Either way you see it. Uh, she does say she caves and says, I love you, mommy. After being prompted, she then right. says that to Michael unprompted. It's I, I feel real complicated about it. Yeah. I feel really complicated about it. There's. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest with it's, you. I do wonder if it's the mind bridge and she knows that at one time Michael genuinely loved her. Yeah. Because she says the line, I love you, brother, the way that he used to say, I love you, boo. Right? It's his yeah. bookend line. Right? So I wonder if she genuinely feels sympathy for this boy who was – like if she's in his mind – and she's seeing his life and thoughts and dreams. She probably mm -hmm. knows how some of this went down. 
Um, Because there's no time after she reads that book for her to really do like a deep dive on this. Yeah. So is there that genuine somewhere in their mind bridge? She's able to see that one that he really did truly love her. In, yeah. in in so much as he was able to f- have a human bond, it was probably with her. Right. Because uh, right. she's and a blank slate as a baby. She's not the mom figure or anything else. No. Or does she say, I love you, brother, and this is the I will carry on the way, right? Is this the supernatural family mm. congealing uh, that the mom has been warning us about? She's not ready yet. She's not ready yet. She's ready now. Was Michael the white sacrificial lamb? He's not the white horse. He's not the pale rider. He's the pale uh, sacrificial lamb. I don't know which one uh, you like better. Oh. Well, I think that if I'm... If I'm... If I'm willing to accept this mind bridge... When she says, I love you, brother, I don't know how you explain that away without some kind of psychic connection. Right. Unless it's just in general, like, I'm sorry that you are the way you are. Right? Like, she has some base sympathy. But she she doesn't say it that way, though. It sounds very earnest. It sounds earnest. Yes. Yes. So I, I think if we accept that there's a mind bridge, that the mind bridge thing is happening, then, yeah, I think it makes sense to say it out of a sympathy or in some way, that's what he needs to hear to finally let go. Yeah. Well, maybe that's it. Been, yeah. He's been trying. He's been in this through line. He's been trying to put together this perfect family unit, him and his mom and Boo, the perfect yes. family. And maybe oh. she tells him that she loves him at the end because that's what he needs to hear. Wow. To just maybe she's the white horse. Maybe she's the white horse. She is what Michael rides to this afterlife where he can be with his mother. And someday another white horse will bring her to the halls of Valhalla or whatever the fuck the Myers family goes to. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Wherever they go. Yeah. Because I was like, who's the white horse of the start? It's still Lori. Lori's the white horse for him. Uh, That is how he gets where he's going. Because it is weird. You're like, why does this kill him? You stabbed him in the face. Last time you fucking shot him in the face. Right. right? <laughs> and you did mention she's not like a natural shooter. She's pretty emotional and beaten up at that point. So it could have been a grazing shot. Neither here nor there. Right. That moment to me felt like Michael wanted to go. Right. Because he did lift right. the arm and he had the knife. And then he's like, eh. Michael wanted to go. He wants to be with mommy, right? He wants to live in that Tim Burton black and white world. And then she grabs the knife and says, I love you, brother. As in your time being traumatized is over. I'll take the mission from here, man. Maybe that is her survivor of grief moment. She recognizes it in another miserable soul. I don't know. Maybe. It's a weird line. It's one of those where I... I always wonder with moments like this, right? There's a lot of these in movies where I was like, is this just super fucking clever? Or is that just something that got added in that they really didn't have like an extra plan for? And I just spend all of this time (laughs) rolling it around. Yeah, where you you don't know. Are you overthinking it? 
Well, to me, or are there these layers? But to me, it's like, why would you not overthink movies? They're the most fun thing to overthink. I know. I want to know, is she saying I will take the mantle of the killer or is she psychically bonded to the moment from the picture where Michael tried to reach her in the movie before and now she gets it. And now she's like, hey, man, there is an alternate universe where maybe the two of us weren't here. That feels hard after what she has seen him do. If she's psychically right. bonded and knows that this white witch is maybe pulling the strings and there is no humanity and knows that she is about to be uh, horsebacked into becoming a bringer of death. I don't know. That's the thing. I, I still haven't settled on what it means to me. Yeah. I yeah, tend I to know. think this is more of a supernatural tale. So I think I would go for that, right? Like, I got it from here. Hand me the baton. The final shot, I just love those ending moments right like it's psycho it's norman bates like i have a secret that you don't know about you know like i love those shots and her smile is so raggedy and Mm -hmm. awesome and i to this day i'm mad that i did not get a halloween three where we see laurie strode reintegrating into society man like Mm -hmm. i would have loved to have seen one more run at this right get a little more into is this a family lineage thing or is this just it you know the the depths at which people can break each other right and maybe we don't need it maybe it's better this way like you said some ambiguity sometimes is the magical elixir for these things sometimes but i i get i get what you're saying and i i think if if they had had it in them to make another one right (laughs) Having seen these two and the kind of all we've talked about, all of the the humanity that they explore here and the trauma they explore here right. and and the symbolism that they inject into this this second installment, I would I mean, I would be there to see a third one. Well, I just just to see yeah, like, you assume that they're here. like, we're not doing another season of The Witch. Uh, people will riot in the streets if instead of Michael Myers, it's uh, his sister, Lori. I think Lori in the mask would be fucking glorious. But to me, it's like, who's she killing? What's she doing? Is she go out and start her own family, right? She's giving Mm. birth to the next little Michael, right? Is this like an omen thing, right? Like, I don't know. Is it stepfather? Is she just running around and killing? Does she become a stripper and start killing Johns? I don't know. But I would have done it again because... to wrap this up, right, not only the Rob Zombie series, but this is our last new discussion on the Halloween series, right? I think what made Michael Meyer uh, this lightning-in-a-bottle character, right, Michael Myers, he was the the weed in the garden of this suburban myth that we had began to tell ourselves. We can move away from the bad things and we'll be protected by space and wealth. No, you won't. Inside all of us is this fucking faceless shape waiting to come out and slaughter, right? And I think they always did a good job of that. And Donald Pleasance became wildly iconic as Loomis. And, uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. And Jamie herself becomes iconic. I think all of those things work so well. You pepper in some mysteries, some druid magic. You have yourself a wildly fun and popular franchise, right? What I like about Rob Zombie is it felt like a course correction in a good way to me. I'm sure others disagree. I'm sure there are people screaming at this whole pod, like, (laughs) how can you defend this movie? 
I think what this does, though, is instead of Michael was veering more towards Jason Voorhees, this right. brings it back to this is the product of a home life. In, in Halloween 1, it is a product of magic, right? A magical, scary mm-hmm. story. This is a product of the broken American dream um, coming back to haunt us, right? That we abuse these kids and don't help them, and this could happen to us. This fucking monster could just arise out of the most innocent-looking little boy. I love that. And I think he so digs into the the deep and personal and human. And with a character like Loomis, it's not great, right? But with Lori and the sheriff, you get some really great moments. And I would argue that by the end, completely decimating and leveling the three pillars of the myth is a hard pill to swallow. But I think these two movies rank among the most interesting additions to the Halloween mythology. And I think that alone makes them an absolute joy to partake in. If you had to give a final wrap up, because this was your first your first dive in. Yeah. Since the heydays, right? So you went from Halloween one and two to Halloween one and two. And a lot had changed in that time span for you. What what makes Michael Myers so amazing and enduring? And what about the Rob Zombie series do you think adds to that legacy? You know, I I think something that I experienced with this is that I saw Halloween and Halloween 2, Carpenter's Vision, when I was very young. And at a time in my life and kind of at a time in kind of the collective where we didn't, there was a lot of things that mainstream, we didn't know about the human mind and the psyche and trauma. And we didn't know about that stuff back then. Um, And so it was really cool to have fallen in love with the franchise through those films. And they're awesome. And I wouldn't change anything about them. Yes. Agree. But it was cool at this point in my life, now a woman entering middle age, knowing all the things I know now that I've learned through reading and watching and personal experience to then revisit the story, but with this new take, with everything we've learned since the original came out and seeing the story through a different lens and experiencing it that way, it doesn't take away from what I love about John Carpenter's original. It just gives me a different way to look at it. Mm -hmm. It gives me kind of a different experience. Um, You know, in the first, in the original installments, you know, you identify with the victims. Mm -hmm. In this one, it's a little messier. Sometimes you identify with the victims. Sometimes you don't. Fuck Ronnie. Fuck Ronnie. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I can I I can almost identify with Michael Myers. Oh, absolutely. And that's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable because I know what he's capable of. But I think you know at this point in my life, I can I can grapple with that. What that you know, what the human experience is and that it's messy and it's complicated. Yes. 
And I think, too, you know, in those earlier installments, which I love, and Michael Myers, there is no reason, there is no logic, there is no negotiation. Mm -hmm. He's a killing machine. He's this embodiment of pure evil that we can never wrap our mind around. Yeah. And it's awesome. And I think in this one, we learn all of this stuff about Michael's backstory. Mm -hmm. And we sympathize with him and we're horrified by him. But at the end of the day, in a murder like Annie, her two attacks, we still, even with everything that we know, I can't, there is no reason. I can't reason. That one hurt. With what he's done. Yeah. <laughs> even with everything I know about him in Rob Zombie's telling of this story, mm -hmm. there is still that element of, how do you wrap your mind around a person being capable of this? Yeah. And so that's, that's pro you know, that comes through in both of these approaches to mm. the story. And I think it's awesome. Yeah. And Halloween two really drives home that making Michael monstrous again concept, right? Yeah. And again, this is a series that constantly, they do this like four times where it's like, Ignore all the other Halloweens you've seen. This takes place after yeah. the first one. They do that like three or four. This is a series that doesn't really stick to a direct timeline. So no. to say that it ruins this and that, I would leave one bow on this, right? I think the way I, I will remember this kind of dichotomy between these two, right? So at the end of the first movie, Halloween, after Donald Pleasant shoots Michael and he falls off the roof, uh, Laurie Strode, you know, after surviving her ordeal, says in a really kind of poetic sense, right? Was that the boogeyman? And Donald mm. Pleasant's like, yes, I believe that was, right? It has this poetic Shakespearean value to it, right? It's very theatrical. The music yeah. kicks in, right? At the end of Rob Zombie's Halloween, that's not our final image, right? That happens before. Uh, th that happens like with 20 some minutes to go, right? Where yeah. she gets in the car and kind of, you know, crying, was that the boogeyman? And, uh, you know, our Loomis gives the, yeah, I do believe that was. There's no poetry in that moment. It's almost a throwaway moment. It's as if, yes, we remember the line. Yes, we remember the thing. And then Michael starts breaking that fucking car apart. And you're like, no, this is not the boogeyman. Uh, this is something else. This is something closer to home. This is not the kind of guy that will disappear into the ethereal music. Uh, this yeah. is a monster right here, right now. And then we stab the house for 20 minutes and shoot him in the face. So that difference, <laughs> right? How they deliver yeah. and answer the question, is this the boogeyman, right? Loomis comes from a position of strength in part one, and it's very poetic. Yes, that Michael is the boogeyman. Rob Zombie's Michael, it is not poetic. And Loomis is obviously not an authority figure anymore. I would argue Michael is not the boogeyman. He is within all of us. And I think it can play all of those ways. And it's really fun to look at it from those different angles. Um, guys, that's it. That's it for Rob Zombie's Halloween uh, 2. For Rob Zombie's Halloween it. for the Halloween franchise. Again, <laughs> I will be updating our list. So you will be able to find our thoughts on Halloween 2018. Uh, spoiler alert. I love that movie as well. Uh, so then you can have the full breadth. But this was the end of our October deep dive into Halloween. It's been a lot. We still have a lot more to come. All of the Candymen and all of the Evil Dead and some awesome movies with guest hosts, including Carmelita again one more time. So thank you guys for spending so much time with us this month. I know this is a lot of shows, 
But these horror movies in this month mean a lot to me, man. And it means a lot to Alex and all of our guests who come on. And uh, we thank you guys for doing this with us. As always, please leave us a rating and review wherever you find the pod. Email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Reach out to us on socials. Give us the retweets and the shares and invite your friends. And you can see our faces as well as hear our voices on the Nerd Alchemist. Carmelita, I can't thank you enough one final time for uh, doing this Rob Zombie Haddonfield journey with me. I, not to toot our horns, but I think we made a really compelling case for these two movies. I think we did too. (laughs) And I am so happy that you brought this up. It gave me a reason to get out of my little bubble and watch these movies. And I I regret nothing. We had a good time. I also, I do regret and rewatching awesome. Ronnie's scenes. I regret that. <laughs> Fuck Ronnie. <laughs> that is the note that we'll sail off on. 